The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Pick up where we left off last week, Romans chapter 4, verse 16, and we'll read together all the way down to the bottom of that chapter. Romans chapter 4, verse 16, down to verse 25. Let's read together. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who hath quickened the dead, and called those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered delivered for our offenses and was raised again, our justification. Praise the Lord for his word. Chapter 4 this morning, Romans chapter 4, will be parked there, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And uh, before we get into the message, I might just make mention of two things. One is I'm very thankful for the good group of guys that came today from Guinea Guinea. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, Special thanks to Brother Eric and Jerry who went and did outreach yesterday. And then also uh, the other thing I'd like to make mention of is the building project. I've been speaking with a contractor this last week. Looks like we will be planning somewhere around the first two Saturdays in September to do a work day. And so if you are able to be planning that far ahead and be thinking about that, um, we'll do a Saturday work day to try to get the floor in uh, for the upstairs. And so that comes down to our portion. Uh, it looks like they will have the downstairs finished and then ready for us to put the floor in for the upstairs. Uh, and then after that, then Atlas Steel would come in. Once we have the floor in, Atlas comes in, and then they do the rest of it going up. Uh, that's the current plan. So. Uh, If you want to be planning ahead, thinking ahead, perhaps it looks like we're on track for the first two Saturdays of September, if you want to just plan that way. Romans chapter 4, we will continue on in our study here. Again, we will not be moving to other passages, so if you want to have a piece of paper here with notes, uh, I don't know if you've ever realized this, you can make a promise and you can have every intention of fulfilling it, and yet you cannot make a promise 
and guarantee that it will be fulfilled. It's impossible. As a human being, you cannot make a promise and then guarantee that it will see through to fulfillment. How many of us have seen that happen in our own lives? I might give a couple of examples. Perhaps you've made an, a promise. Uh, dads, maybe you've made this promise to your wife and the kids, something like, hey, I promise that I will take you somewhere special on Saturday. Or maybe you made a promise this last week, something like, I promise to pay you back on my fortnight, on my payday. I promise to pay you back. Or maybe you promised someone, hey, I'll promise, I promise to marry you after we get, after we get out of school. <laughs> I don't know. If you made that promise this last week, come and tell me. I want to talk to you about it, all right? <laughs> But you cannot guarantee the fulfillment of your promises. I promise to take you somewhere special on Saturday. Well, what if it's raining? What if you don't want to go anymore? Right? I promise to take you somewhere. We're going to go to Ella Beach on Saturday. We're going down to Ella Beach. And you get up on Saturday morning. It's raining. Your family doesn't want to go. Well, now you don't have to fulfill your promise. But things have changed. Right? Or I promise I will be home by 6 p.m. And then you got stuck in traffic at North Waigani because the lights went out. And you can't get anywhere. You're stuck. I can't control everything to the point where I can guarantee the fulfillment of my promises. Now, we don't want to make a blatant promise that we just don't have any plan of fulfilling. But you cannot do that. You cannot guarantee 100% success rate. Or the payday promise. I promise that I will pay you on my payday. And who knows, any number of things happen between now and then. Perhaps you got paid and you have the ability, and yet you go to the ATM and system down. Now what? Or perhaps you got the money out of the ATM and somebody robbed you before you got to pay off your D-Now. Or maybe a bus hit you. Right? There's any number of things that can happen to where you cannot guarantee... That, that was dark, right? Some of you look at me like, whoa, whoa, Pastor, easy. <laughs> there are any number of things that can happen to keep you from guaranteeing your own promise. But not God. He, by His very nature, cannot lie. Therefore, He will not give a promise that He will not fulfill. And then He is all-powerful, so He will fulfill every promise that He ever made. Uh, Joshua gave this statement at the end of his life. He was just finishing up the ministry, leading the nation of Israel, and he gave this promise, Joshua 23, verse 14. Uh, he gave this statement about God fulfilling his promise. Here's what he said to the people of Israel. Joshua said, You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord our, your God spake concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one thing has failed thereof. You realize that God makes His promises based on His nature that He cannot lie, and then He guarantees His own promises by the fact that He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, able to fulfill everything, even to the end where it is seemingly impossible. I might say it like this, God always keeps His promises even when they are costly to Himself. God always keeps His promises even when they are costly to himself. And he knows, by the way, when he makes a promise, he knows the end from the beginning, and when he makes a promise, he knows what it will cost to fulfill that promise. And he still keeps his promises, no matter how costly they are. And with this thought in mind, we come into Romans chapter 4. Paul continues on using Abraham as an example of faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for 
righteousness. And that faith was based on the promise of God. Abraham knew God will always fulfill His promises. So when God gives a promise, you can hang your hat on it, you can trust it, you can believe it, because God will always keep His promises. Now we're going to be in verse 18, we pick up our text, but before we can get to verse 18, I want to slide back into 16, because 16 sets the setting for 18 and following. So let me bring you back into verse 16. We saw verses 16 and 17 last week, uh, but I think that it's important for us to see them again this week coming into verse 18. So verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. This makes God look really good. The fact that we get the inheritance by faith, it's not something we do. He does not owe us. We receive this by God's grace. So this receiving by faith makes God look good to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. That's for every single one of us that believes not just the uh, physical descendants of Abraham, namely the Jewish people, not just for them, but to all who believe the promise has been made sure. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Parentheses in verse 17, and here is what the promise was. As it is written... Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. I have made thee a father of many nations. That's the promise. Before him whom he believed, even God, who... Now get this because this is so important for the rest of our passage today. He believed God who quickens the dead, makes dead people alive, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And we saw the number of things last week that God calls as though they were. Let there be light. There had never been such a thing as light in all of the history of the universe. Ever. And he says, let there be something that is not. He calls it as though it was something that were. And he calls those who are dead to be alive. I think it's very important as we come into today's passage that we point out which miracle of all of the miracles that there are, which miracle does Paul put his finger on? He calls those things which are not as though they were. In other words, God can do whatever He wants, but namely, quicken the dead. Raise the dead. That's the one that he puts his finger on in verse 17. See it with me again after the parentheses. He believed God who quickens the dead. That's the one single miracle that he points at. And then, overall, he says there's a whole lot of miracles that he can do. Namely, he can call whatever it is that he wants to be into existence. And the one miracle is quicken the dead. Now, keep that thought in mind. He's pointing at raise the dead. He's pointing at that as we come into verses 18 and following. Let's see verse number 18. Speaking of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So here's the promise again. This promise again in verse 18, that he might become the father of many nations. I have a line in my Bible that draws from that statement back up to verse 17 in the parentheses, as it is written, you'll be the father of many nations. So here's the promise. He says it again. You're going to be the father of many nations. Now let me pause here for just a moment because I think it's important within our cultural context for me to remind you that not every promise in the Scripture is supposed to be for you to claim. 
This promise to Abraham, you will be the father of many nations, is the promise to Abraham. That's not your promise. Let me say it again, because I want you to hear it and let it sink in. Because there's a culture within us that says, well, I am to have many children, I will have many descendants, and if I don't have many descendants, then there's something wrong. God did not promise you that you are the father of many nations. That promise was to Abraham. Now be careful. You cannot claim every promise in the Bible. God gives promises and He gives them to specific people. There's a number of things that I hear all the time. People talk about faith. You've got to put your faith in the promise of God if God gave the promise to you. You don't get to just pick stuff. I I heard for the last 18 months... Things like, I'm just claiming the power of the blood of Jesus over COVID-19. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find a promise that God would defeat COVID-19 with the blood of Jesus. It's not there. So stop making it up. It doesn't exist. You cannot claim the blood of Jesus over HIV or over male pattern baldness or over cancer. It's not there. Guys, let's just be honest. If He said it, He'll fulfill it. But if He didn't say it, you don't get to claim it. I'll give some other examples. Perhaps you've heard some say that you can just claim that God will expand your coasts and He will enlarge your flocks. I might call that health, wealth, and prosperity. And if you've been around here long enough, you know that I hate that. Health, wealth, and prosperity is not in the Scriptures. I'll give you a a verse that many people will use. This one gets put on coffee cups and on bookmarks and on memes all the time. It's 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. There are plenty of biblical principles the rest of Scripture over that says that if you pray, He'll listen and He will forgive you of your sin. But be careful about trying to take it even further because the Scripture does not say that He will heal your land. There was a very specific point being made on that day. This was the day that the temple of Israel was opened. For how many years King Solomon had been building that temple, and on that day they called in every priest that was in the priesthood. Now that's important because remember that the priests were on a rotation. So you would serve as a priest for a set number of weeks, and then you would go off for the rest of the year, and someone else would come in. But on this day, in 2 Chronicles 7, chapter 6 and chapter 7, all of the priests showed up, all of them in their priestly garments, because this was a special day. And on that day they sacrificed more cows and sheep. 2 Chronicles 6 says they, count, they sacrificed more than they could count. That should blow your mind. They sacrificed a whole bunch of sheep and a whole bunch of cows and 120 priests lined up with trumpets and blew the trumpets. 120 priests blowing trumpets would have been amazing. And then God sent down His cloud of smoke and filled the temple so much that the people could not see one to another. And God made this promise to Israel at the opening of the temple. And He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll humble yourself and pray, I will heal your land. Speaking to Israel. And it's interesting to note that those who will put a meme of 2 Chronicles 7.14 or a coffee cup of 7.14 forget to put the one for 7.19. 
7.19 and following is the exact opposite. The moment you turn your back on me, here's what God said, the moment you turn your back on me, I'll send you into slavery and I'll destroy this temple. Boy, nobody wants to talk about destroy the temple. Nobody wants to talk about let's go into slavery. We're all excited about heal my land. And guys, be very careful about claiming a promise that does not belong to you. Because when you claim a promise that does not belong to you, one day you are setting yourself up for a great disaster. There's coming a day when things don't go right. And you're going to say, what happened? I followed Jesus and He didn't give me the healing of my land. And now all of a sudden you blame God for something He never promised you. Be careful with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'll give you a, a quote. This comes out of the lyrics of a song. And I'm going I'm, I'm to make a recommendation because I know that some of you young people will not listen to Southern Gospel and you'll never love the cathedrals, okay? So Brother Eric loves the cathedrals and he loves the Southern Gospel, but I know that some of you young people prefer hip-hop. And so you'll spend a lot of time in hip-hop because you think there's nothing good in, in Christian music. Uh, let me just give you a couple of names. You can write them down. Trip Lee. You can get uh, Lecrae, you can get Shylin. Just put those in your book, in your, in your notes later on, you can look them up, all right? If you've got to stick with the genre, at least get some good lyrics, okay? And so Shylin makes this statement in one of his songs. The song was called False Teachers, and he changed the S to dollar signs. I thought that was genius. Um, and, and this is what he, he says in the middle of his song, False Teachers, here's what he says. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is. He came to redeem us from sin, and that is the message forever I yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed to hell. Let that sink in. If your God is money, you're headed the wrong way. So you don't come to God so that you can get money. It's backwards. I'm going to use money to show that who my God really is. I will not serve God and mammon. It's impossible. So I'll use my old God to serve my new God. And I'll just pass that over to him. So be careful about claiming promises that don't belong to you. This Second Chronicles 7.14 is for the Jewish people. God promised if they'll come to him, he'll heal, heal their land. Be careful. There's a song. We sang it when I was in, in Sunday school. Every promise in the book is mine. How many of you heard that song? Sorry, it's wrong. Actually, they're not all yours. Some of them belong to other people other than you. So make sure when you're reading the promises that this promise actually comes to me. Abraham's promise is, I'm going to make you father of many nations. That one doesn't belong to me. But it does belong to Abraham and he could believe it. And he could believe it because it's God's promise and God will do everything it takes to fulfill his own promises. And that's going to be quite difficult for Abraham. Because by Genesis chapter 17, he's 99 years old. That's a problem. How difficult is it? Well, let's see it in verses 19 and 20. Paul's going to point this out. Remember that God does the impossible. Namely, he raises the dead. Here we go, verse 19 and 20. Being not weak in faith, he, Abraham, considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He's got two big obstacles. One, Abraham is almost dead. That's the problem. Ninety-nine years old. I'll read it for you from Hebrews chapter 11. 
got it on the board. Hebrews chapter 11 says it like this. Be looking for that word dead, by the way. Uh, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So here in Romans chapter 4, he calls him his body now dead. Hebrews says, as good as dead. Talk pigeon by him, talk the same. Lapun straight. This poor fella is carrying around a piece of bamboo, and he's smashing his kabibi inside of it. Right? This fellow, his hundiwai is a part of his body posture. He does not go anywhere without the hundiwai. This guy is old, ancient. English, we would say one foot in the grave. He is ancient. And he's not like the song, Ancient of Days, as, and he's going to keep on going. This guy's got his days are numbered. Abraham, he's as good as dead. And God says, you're going to have a child. Here you go. Guess what God can do? He can raise the dead. So here's Abraham, old as dirt, and God says, I'm going to raise you up and do something amazing with you. I don't know if you've met somebody that had a child in their older years. I've got a good friend, he's a pastor in Australia, he's a little bit older than me, his kids are now grown, he's got kids that are in uni, and just last year, out of the blue, surprise, surprise, they found out they were going to have a baby. I said, my brother, hats off to you, I'm well retired from that stage of life. You get to have family 2.0. <laughs> Start all over. I, I did tell him when I this was be right before COVID. I, I told I saw him down in, in Brisbane. I told him I said, brother, do you realize that when your child graduates from high school, they're going to have to push you in for in a wheelchair? <laughs> this is my goodness. <laughs> a blessing in old age, but my goodness, poor Abraham. When Isaac is graduating from high school, he's not old. He's older than old. <laughs> And then the second part of the problem, first part is he's old, second part is she's old. That's a problem as well, because she is well past the age of having children. That's the way the scripture said it. She's well past the age of having children. And yet, God does the impossible. And Abraham knows God raises the dead. He calls those things which are not as though they were. And God said, you're going to have a child. And Abraham thinks to himself, in all my years I wanted one. In all my years I look forward to fulfilling the purpose of my own name. But here you are, God. You're going to give me a child. I'll take it. And he names Isaac, by the way, names him Laughter. And I can just imagine how much laughter must have just rolled through their house as that little boy bounced around from one side of the tent to another. God tr- Abraham trusted in the God who does the impossible. Now look at verse 20. And I hope that this portion will help you. Look at the words in the beginning of verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. If I was writing the book of Romans, and obviously I didn't because I'm nowhere near on the same par with Paul. But if I was writing the book of Romans, I might say something like, Abraham had a few hiccups along the way, but ultimately he believed God. Because let's be honest, There were some times when Abraham did stagger. But you notice the words that Paul writes. He staggered not at the promise of God. And we know that he did stumble in his faith. We know that he did. Why do do we know that? Because when God told him, you're going to have a child, he laughed. And Sarah, inside the tent, laughed. We remember uh, from 75 until 86, he's waiting for one. And then at 86, he says, maybe it's supposed to be coming through Hagar. 
Now he has a child that's not supposed to be even born at all. This is, these are evidences that he stumbled in his faith. I don't know if you've ever stumbled in your faith. Can we just be honest this morning? That there's some times when, man, I wish I could say that I'm always at level 100. But sometimes I find myself somewhere in the neighborhood of a level 11. I can't keep it up. And there's sometimes when I just wonder, God, are you really sure that we're supposed to be doing this? Are you really sure that this is the way it works out? God, are you sure? That's what Abraham was. And but yet notice here, he gets to the end of his life and, and God writes the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul, writes that he did not stumble, he did not stagger. I think that what's happening here, God's going, hey look, big picture, he trusted me. He trusted me. He's human. He falls in sin, but he trusted me. I wonder if God could say the same thing about you. And you have those hiccups and those little valleys, and you, you come through, and you go, oh, man, I just wish I could get this taken care of. And yet, God goes, hey, he's trusting me. And he made a promise, by the way, that if you will trust him, he'll count it as righteousness. That's not me. That's not my goodness. That's his applied to me. And by the way, that's a beautiful promise from the Father. You can hang your hat on that one. You can trust that one. You can believe that one. Maybe if I can help you with something here on those times when you are stumbling in faith. Let me give you a statement. I hope this will help you. Feelings will follow facts. Feelings will follow facts. I think that a lot of times we base our faith on more on feelings. And feelings will come as a result of understanding and believing fact. So here's Abraham. Abraham's been promised that he will have children. Eleven years goes by. He hasn't had a child yet. He starts to thinking about it, talks it over with his wife. Don't know that things are going right. And you remember what happens when God shows up when he's 99? God says, no, I told you that I would give you a child. And Abraham latches back on to a fact. You ready? Here's the fact. God always keeps His promises. And if you can ground yourself in a fact that God will keep His promises, the rest of it will flow out. Here's the fact. He makes a promise. He always keeps His promises. He's God. He never lies. I hold on to that fact. And then the faith can be based on something. Remember we said this last week, you don't just put your faith in anything out there. There's a promise and you hang on to that. So here's the fact he gave his promise and he always keeps his promises. So I'm going to hang on to that. And then because of that faith in that fact, now I will have feelings that will come into line that line up with that. I might give an example from Galatians 5, and you don't have to turn there. You might remember, here's, the, here, here's a statement. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you say, but, but pastor, I don't feel that. I don't feel that. I feel like it's always a struggle. And here's the promise. Hang your hat on this one. Believe it. Trust God. He made a promise. Walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now watch how this works. You start going with the fact. You believe the fact. And you start walking in the Spirit. Now guess what happens as a result of walking in the Spirit? Well, Galatians 5.22 happens. Fruit of the Spirit. Remember what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. All of these, there's no law against these. You know what all of those are? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness. You know what they are? They're feelings. 
Not a single one of those is an action that's going on on the outside. Now, sure, there will be manifested actions, but those are all feelings. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. These are things that are going on on the inside. So those are going to follow after the fact. So hang your hat on. Have a trust in God on His promise. He said, this is what I'm going to do. So walk in the Spirit. And then I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Instead, I'm going to have feelings that are going, whew, they're getting turned all the way back around. And so here's Abraham. Perhaps he has slipped at times. And yet God goes, no, wait a second. He believed me. And he believed me and he held on to it. He met those Bedouin guys along the way and they asked him what his name was. He said, Abraham, I'm the father of many nations. And God says, righteous. Now look into verse number 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. We've seen that again and again. Abraham believed that God would do what he said he would do, namely, raise the dead. That's the promise he made. And God raised the dead. He raised Abraham. We've now heard it in two different places. Abraham called as good as dead. He raised Abraham, he raised Sarah, as good as dead. He raised Isaac, you remember Mount Moriah, on the way up the mountain. Whether or not he ever plunged the knife in and sacrifice in his mind, he knew God raises the dead. Then we have God raises the dead with Jesus, and God raises the dead with you and I, as Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 says. He will raise us. Those of us who are dead in sins, we put our trust in Jesus and He raises us. He makes us alive. And there will be coming a day when we are asleep in Christ that 1 Thessalonians 4 says He will raise the dead on that day. The last trump is given. He always keeps His promises, especially giving life to the dead. Now verse 23 is going to bring this home and make it a bit more practical for us. Verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. I love it when Paul does this. There's a couple of times he does this in the New Testament. He says, hey, have a look back at the Old Testament. And by the way, was it just for the Old Testament? No, the answer is, it's for us. So let's see him do this. So Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Did that only help Abraham? No, it helps us too. So see it in verse 23. It was not just for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. We get the righteousness of God if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. What a blessed promise. Not just Abraham believing and it's accounted to him for righteousness. You and I also. We believe and we are also receiving the righteousness of, of God. This is an, a beautiful promise. Now I want to draw in, in verse 24, to a little statement that I hope puts a big question mark in your mind. I'll read, it, I'll read the phrase slowly and see if you can pick up on it. Here we go, verse 24. This promise was for us also, to whom it shall be imputed... Here you go. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus. Believe on him that raised up Jesus. I hope you're thinking. Who raised Jesus? God. I'll say it one more time. Who raised Jesus? God. So who is it that we're putting our trust in? God. According to this verse, God. But maybe you remember some other verses from Scripture, and if you were to ask the average Christian, who do you believe on in order to be saved? 
You say, Jesus, right? You might, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, right? Let's believe on Jesus. But this verse says, believe on God. Now, don't go kindergarten with me, all right? You know what kindergarten does? Kindergarten says Jesus and God, same person. They are, they are, but don't go kindergarten, all right? Let's think about this. Think about this. I hope that, I hope that when you come into Scripture that you think and let it sink in because, it, by the way, it gives you greater fact that you can hang your hat on. And so what, what do you mean? Believe on God. Believe on God that raised Him from the dead. This is a different thought here. I'm believing on God. So notice here, I'm believing on God who raised Jesus from the dead. I'm not going to take a long time to develop this. I'll just toss this idea and I'm going to use this as a, as, as, as a draw for faith family. Wednesday night, faith family here, I will expound that more deeply, I'll just give you an idea so you can study it on your own time. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. There is a straight line from Romans 10, 9 and 10 to Romans 4, 24. Straight line. Those two go directly together. And if you don't come to this faith family and instead you go to the one at Barocco, don't worry, I'll review it with Brother Eric. He'll know it really well by the time he gets there. It's a very big deal. I'm believing on Jesus, but I'm also believing on God who raised Jesus from the dead. I believe on Jesus. What am I believing on Jesus? I'm believing that Jesus took my sin and He paid the penalty of my sin. And I believe that God is going to give me righteousness when I believe on Jesus. Oh, this is a beautiful promise from him. Now look at verse 25. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I see this verse in two halves. Delivered for our offenses. Delivered or raised again for our justification. Those two halves match up with the verse that we keep using every week, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So on the one half, he was delivered for our Offenses. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He was made sin for us. And on the other half, He was raised for our justification. We got to receive the justification from God by us putting faith in Jesus. The greatest exchange there ever was. I give Jesus my sin and I get the righteousness of God. This is a beautiful thing. And if I can just point out real quickly, this, and, and then we'll move into a practical application for this passage. Look at the, the end of verse 25. He was raised again for our justification. And the meaning there for, for our justification would be the same as because of. Because of our justification. So I'll, 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 maybe I'll, I'll unpack it like this. First half of 25. Jesus was delivered for four our offenses. Last half, raised again for our justification. Very same thoughts. It was because of our offenses that Jesus went to the cross. It was because of our justification. God has now declared us righteous. There's no need for Jesus to stay in the tomb anymore. God sees all of the work of Jesus on the cross as being enough to give us our righteousness and He raises Him from the dead. So He goes to the cross for our offenses. 
And then He's raised from the dead, and we know that God has given us righteousness. It's as if we might say, Jesus raising from the dead is one more way of us seeing that God is pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. Let me give you practical application, and then we'll wrap up. When it comes to making excuses, we tend to forget our promises. We make excuses for forgetting our promises. I promise I'll be there at 10 o'clock, and then something happens, and we're really good at making excuses. This happened or that happened. We're slack in our promises. He is not, by the way. He is not slack in His promises. He always keeps His promises, even when they are extremely costly. Our application for today would not be, I think this is too shallow, our application is not keep your promises. That's not your application. I think that's too shallow. Perhaps this might be more helpful. Here's the application. You can trust Him who keeps His promises even though they're costly. You can trust Him. Now let me play that out for you in your life. Perhaps you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus. Perhaps you think that maybe one day I can be enough and I can do right and I turn this leaf over and I make a good way in my life and then God's going to accept me. No, it never works that way. You need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took your sin on the cross. This is called your salvation. And He saves you because you trusted Him. And He promised, by the way, He promised to save you, to give you eternal life. You will never spend eternity in hell if you've put your trust in Jesus. That's your salvation. And many of us would understand the idea of glorification. It's on the other end. There's coming a day when Jesus will return from heaven or perhaps you will pass away, be asleep in Christ, and the day is coming when He will return and He will give you a glorified body. And we believe that. We trust that. He promised that He would do it. I would receive my glorified body. I would never sin again. I would forever enjoy the presence of God. And that's the glorification. And we can trust Him for that. It's His promise. He said He would do it. And by the way, in that one, He raises the dead. And in that one, He raises the dead. And then there's the one that's in the middle that a lot of us struggle with, and that's called sanctification. And that's the day-by-day outworking of my sinful ways and getting those out and me becoming more like Jesus. And guess how that happens? And we're going to see this coming up in Romans 6, 7, and 8. This is going to be really big. Here it is. He's raising the dead. We are not stuck dead in our sins and our trespasses. Instead, He's made us alive with Christ. says it all several times in Romans chapter 6. He makes us alive in Christ. And because He's made us alive now, we are no longer slaves to sin. And so you can trust His promise. Here's the promise. Trust me. I'll give you the power. You will have new life. You're not stuck the old ways. I hope that that will be of help to us. Now let me... Drawing on verse 25 and we're done. See verse 25. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I hope that that causes you to think of who did the delivering and who did the raising. I think the raising is easy for us to see. Who raised Jesus from the grave? That's easy to see. God the Father did. He raised Jesus and I believe God, I believe God raised him from the dead. I get that righteousness. It's a beautiful picture. But we don't think very often about who delivered Jesus.
for our offenses. Do you see the word in verse 25? Who was delivered for our offenses. Who delivered Jesus? And sometimes we might think, oh, it was those Jewish temple leaders that did it. Or maybe you might think it was Pilate who did it. Maybe it was Judas that did it. I submit to you this morning, it was God that did it. God delivered Jesus for our offenses. So again, remember the giver is the one who gets the glory. God is the one who gave Jesus. And He gave Jesus to come to the earth to go to the cross for us. And then He delivered Jesus over for our offenses. God put every single one of the pieces in place so that Jesus would end up at the cross. It was no mistake that Jesus went to the cross. Nobody tricked Him. God delivered him. Let me share with you one verse from Acts chapter 2. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Fifty days have passed since the cross. We're less than two months, and Jesus has already gone back to heaven. He's raised from the dead. He's gone back to heaven. Five thousand witnesses have seen him. Peter stands on the day of Pentecost in the temple, and he preaches to the people of Israel. And here's what he says. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He's speaking in a sermon. He says, Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you took him, and with your wicked hands you crucified him. But God has raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. You see, God is the one that put Jesus on the cross. Why? Because of our sins. It was God that raised him from the dead so that he could prove to us, you've been justified. You see, God always keeps his promises, even when they're costly. Father, I pray that this morning we would examine ourselves and see whether we be in the faith, Father, I know that many times we have roller coasters in our life, ups and downs, hills and valleys. But I wonder if it could be said of us, he believed God. God, you've promised that if we would believe you, you would count it as righteousness for us. Oh, how we need to be right with you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would take a few moments to inspect our hearts and examine Are we trusting you? So before we close this morning, I'd like to ask you to inspect your heart, examine your heart. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? If I could ask two questions. One, say, Pastor, I know that I have put my trust in Jesus. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. I know it for sure. Would you raise your hand? You raise your hand and you say, Pastor, I know I've put my trust in Jesus and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Anybody like that? Hands all over the house. Fantastic. Good. Good. You can put your hand down. Let me ask it the other way. Pastor, I've never put my trust in Jesus, but I'd like to today. I'd like for somebody to show me from the Bible how I can put my trust in Jesus, and I can be right with God. Is there one like that this morning? You raise your hand and say, Pastor, could somebody show me from the Bible how I can be right with God how I could put my trust in Jesus. Anybody like that this morning? Just raise your hand. Pastor, I'd like to be right with God. Can somebody show me from the Bible how to do that? Father, thank you for your grace on our lives. I pray now that you would help us as we put into practice trusting the promises of God. Salvation, glorification, sanctification. I pray that we would trust you. And Lord, as a result of that, our lives would be transformed. Thank you for your grace upon us in Jesus' name.
Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709 1000. Again, it's 709 1000.